a different kind of governance. Recall the words of the Declaration. Its signers insisted, quote, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, unquote. But what if no state at all receives or deserves the people's consent? The diverse, unpredictable mechanisms for resolving disputes that will develop in a stateless society can be reliable sources of order and security. Replacing the state with the kind of anarchy I'm talking about here isn't a matter of eliminating government if government really just means governance, management, administration, the creation and maintenance of order. Creating a stateless society means creating a particular kind of management, administration, order maintenance, a kind not dependent on violence, on anyone's possession of a monopoly of force. Peace is productive. Violence is costly. Communal ties link people with each other and reinforce norms of cooperativeness, fairness, and compassion. And as human communities explore and experiment, they can devise an enormous variety of creative strategies for conflict resolution without the state's monopoly of force. Contrary to the statist argument that we wouldn't have peace without the state, people who want peace need the state less than a fish needs a bicycle. The bicycle, after all, is unlikely to harm the fish, while the state is positively dangerous. The State and the Economy The most common argument for the state today is probably the claim that it's necessary to prevent violence. I think that it's clear that this argument doesn't work, that multiple means of preserving and restoring peace would be available in a stateless society. Another argument that the state is indispensable might be that people need the state because a central authority is required to guide the production and distribution of goods and services but I don't think the state is necessary to manage production and distribution effectively either. In fact, it almost certainly can't do so. There are several interrelated reasons this is so. I think the most basic is that the state doesn't actually know what people want or what resources are available. It could Doubtless, a mass of vast database of all available physical resources, workers, and their skills. But nothing like this exists now. It would be enormously costly and time-consuming. It would require the deployment of almost unimaginable computing power. And just having the required information would doubtless give state actors a tremendous capacity to manipulate people's lives. But let's suppose that all of these hurdles could be overcome. It would still be the case that the state would be unaware of people's actual preferences for goods and services. No, no doubt it could simply manage production and distribution without regard for people's preferences, just deciding what they needed and delivering the goods and services it decided to produce accordingly. But does anyone really think that this would be sensible? People know a lot more about their own circumstances 
and thus about what would and wouldn't be helpful to them than do state bureaucrats. And of course, just enjoying the freedom to choose which of several goods one wants is independently important. Perhaps the state could survey people to determine their preferences. It could even maintain individual survey records so it knew just what particular individuals desired. But again, this would give the state enormous power. It would require a huge investment in data management, and it would require people to devote a great deal of time answering survey questions. Imagine that this set of problems could be solved. It still wouldn't resolve the difficulty associated with finite resources. Not all the things I want are the things I can have. I have to make choices. I have to ration scarce resources. To determine how to perform this task, the state would have to ask people not only to provide preferences, but to weigh them in relation to each other. So there was some idea of just how much time and energy ought to be expended in delivering which goods and services. Further complicating matters for the state is that it is not always obvious just what information is relevant to the process of planning for the production and distribution of particular goods. The state might not know whether to acquire the information from particular people, and those people themselves might not realize that certain information they had was relevant. In addition, it is most unlikely the state would know in advance of a particular production or distribution problem the most efficient way to complete it. The state could mandate investment in a specified range of approaches, but it would still run a significant risk of ignoring alternatives that might be creatively identified by others. If, however, it were to support multiple efforts by different people to identify creative production or distribution mechanisms, it would not know in advance which ones merited support, and, if so, how much. It is hard to imagine that a state-driven system would not stifle creativity and ignore innovative possibilities. The point is especially evident if you think about the question not, how many widgets should we make, but rather, should we make widgets or zidgets, or even more fundamentally, should we make a factory that can be used to construct parts for widget-making machines and many other things, or a completely different sort of factory? On what possible basis is the state supposed to make these decisions? What information regarding possible consumer preferences might it be thought to have? How is it to ration resources among these kinds of basic uses? Suppose the state is going to manage the economy by determining the level of investment in factories, commercial and industrial land, infrastructure, and so forth. It can't ask about the preferences of the consumer in these cases and seek to match investment levels to these preferences. That's because the state itself is the consumer. It will be the purchaser of the land and the factories. And what it's trying to do is to figure out just what its preferences ought to be. There are general reasons for thinking that efficient management of production and distribution of goods and services by the state, or indeed 
any centralized authority wouldn't work. And these reasons apply whatever the goods and services actually are. That includes the production and distribution of the goods and services the defenders of the state typically want to suggest that only it can provide, the ones our need for which supposedly helps to justify the state even if it's illegitimate. The argument, recall, is that we need the state to keep us from killing each other and to resolve conflicts. But there's no special reason to think that the state would be better at centrally managing the economical production and distribution of violence prevention and conflict resolution services than it is at centrally managing the economical production and distribution of other goods and services. The state's inadequacy as an economic manager helps to determine a crucial argument often offered for its continued existence. There's another very real problem related to state management of production and distribution, too. The power required to implement such a system would be enormous. The temptation offered to the potentially tyrannical by the availability of such state power would be great. And possessing this kind of power would make it possible for even well-meaning bureaucrats who made mistakes to do enormous damage in short order. The fact that the state can't successfully manage the economical production and distribution of goods and services doesn't prove that there should be no state. Perhaps, for instance, there are goods and services which there is good reason for people to want that can't be produced economically. That's why my case against the state is multi-part. I do believe, in fact, that it is possible to produce all of the goods and services we might want without the state. But even if it could be shown that this was not the case, the other kinds of reasons I have emphasized including the basic illegitimacy and dangerousness of the state, would weigh heavily against the state. I believe it would make sense to forego the state even if that meant also foregoing some other things we might genuinely want. The direct costs of operating a system of state economic management would be vast, and there would be multiple indirect costs. These would include the reduced productivity resulting from any attempt to manage the creative process centrally. They would also include several other kinds of problems, evident today even in economies not fully managed by the state. These include inefficiencies created by state subsidies to privileged elites, burdens imposed by the state on the poor, and incentives provided by the state that prop up large, centralized business organizations, incentives that encourage inefficient economic activity and sustain organizations in which it is often debilitating, alienating, and oppressive to work.